This year, with much fanfare, some of the biggest startups in history have gone public. Companies like Uber, Lyft, Slack. It was the big moment they were waiting for. But over the last few months, things haven't quite gone the way they hoped they would. Slack shares are sinking in the after hours, down more than 10%. Uber, those shares are falling this morning again after that rocky day. Now, another unicorn is preparing to go public. And if the last few weeks are any indication, that's totally in panic mode. it could end up being the rockiest IPO of all of them. Today on the show, you'll be hearing from our startups reporter, Ellen Hewitt. We'll trace WeWork's meteoric rise to a $47 billion company and the chaos of the last few weeks as it scrambled to keep its IPO alive. With its controversial CEO now stepping down, can WeWork still pull it off? I'm Aki Ito. You're listening to Decrypted. Stay with us. So Ellen, I want to start today's episode at the very beginning Tell us about WeWork's founder, Adam Newman. Adam Newman is 40 years old, and he was born in Israel and grew up in various parts of the country, including for a period of time on a kibbutz, which he likes to reference a lot because the company that he ended up founding, WeWork, is all about community, togetherness. The metaphor is almost too on the nose. Yeah, and of course, his co-founder, Miguel McKelvey, also lived on a commune in Oregon when he was a kid. A kibbutz, as, as you might know, is sort of an Israeli commune. And so they like to emphasize their communal backgrounds when they talk about the origin story of WeWork, which is all about sharing and doing things together, mm-hmm. sort of. It's also about real estate. He served in the Israeli Navy and then came to the U.S. and attended college in New York and was sort of a entrepreneur type person. He's a big dreamer, very visionary type of person who sees an idea and thinks, of course, I can do that, and and did, and attempted to do several different businesses before he started WeWork, hmm. including most famously people like to reference, one in which he had a company that sold baby clothes with knee pads for <laughs> babies that crawl. <laughs> Not a bad idea. And maybe. I believe he also had a company that made high heel shoes. He, it was a little all over the place. Uh, He likes to tell a story about how... By the time I was 28, five years after I arrived to New York City, I was 30 pounds lighter than today. I was smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. My hands were shaking violently, and I was confused and lost. He met his now wife, Rebecca Paltrow Newman, who you might guess from her name is actually related to Gwyneth Paltrow, the actress. They are cousins. Rebecca went on the first date with me. And within five minutes, now I say five minutes to be nice, but it truly took 10 seconds. She looked me straight in the eye and she said, you, my friend, are full of And she told him that he should kind of get his life in order. She told him, you're ambitious, you're smart, but this isn't working. There are some things that Hmm. you need to to get in line. This Um, is after college. Yeah, this is after college. And yeah, the starting of WeWork was something that came about when Adam and Miguel were working in an office space that was maybe under-rented. The landlord was having trouble filling it, and they suggested to the landlord, why don't you parcel up this space into smaller pieces and we can rent out to smaller entrepreneurs or small businesses and sort of this idea of co-working, like why don't we bring in a lot of different 
tenants into this one space. And they did that for a while, and it was called Green Desk. And then my understanding is that Adam and Miguel sold that business to the landlord of that property and then went off and started what would become WeWork. They had this idea of making the We vision much bigger than just renting office space, but they did start with the vision for WeWork, which is taking out leases, cutting them up into smaller parts of an office, maybe a desk here or there, or like five desks in a small office, and then renting them out to freelancers, startups, entrepreneurs, people who need flexible access to space. WeWork was founded in 2010, so I think it spends the first few years kind of getting ramped up. And in 2012, they had seven locations. The valuation was reported at maybe $100 million. So the next year, a valuation of maybe around $440 million. And then by 2014, they started having international locations. So they opened in London. They had 23 locations at the end of the year. They became a unicorn. First off, how have you... How does this work? How have you been able to build a $5 billion company in four years? So uh, They raised money at a $5 billion valuation. It's phenomenal, and it's a great concept, and it's continuing to explode. So starting to put them in the ranks of some of the biggest startups coming out of, I won't say Silicon Valley because they were a New York-based company, but out of the sort of startups boom that was happening in this period of time. Then in 2017, things start to get much more heated, they get a big investment from SoftBank. And SoftBank is a Japanese conglomerate that over the last few years has made a ton of very large investments in Silicon Valley. It has kind of inflated valuations and funding round sizes in a way that even a casual observer might have started to notice. And SoftBank comes in and invests $4.4 billion in WeWork um, and sets the post-money valuation at about $20 billion. Okay, so we get into 2018. WeWork's worth about $20 billion, making it one of the biggest startups in the world. It's flying high. What happens next? So at the end of 2018, there start being stories about a potential um, majority takeover of WeWork from SoftBank. So SoftBank is apparently floating this plan to invest something like $16 billion in WeWork which would give SoftBank a majority stake in the company, which is kind of unprecedented. That's not Mm -hmm. usually how venture investing works. And the deal's discussed. This is happening sort of around Christmas time, 2018. And to underscore just how big of a deal $16 billion is, I mean, that would make it one of the largest investments ever made in a private company. Yeah, it's huge. One for the record books. But as the discussions keep going on, SoftBank changes its mind. The Japanese conglomerate announced Monday it's investing an additional $2 billion in the co-working startup, a step back from the $16 billion investment that would have given SoftBank a controlling stake. over WeWork. What ended up being announced was SoftBank had invested $2 billion in WeWork, and the new valuation was around $47 billion, which, to be clear, would be a huge investment for almost any other company. For WeWork, given that there had been on these other stories about how big the investment could have been, people generally saw it as SoftBank scaling back its commitment to the company. This is kind of like the first crack that appears in WeWork's fundraising machine. It is a pretty public setback, or is at least interpreted by the public as a pretty serious setback for their fundraising. So then in late April, they announce... Uh, we filed confidentially, which means that they're at least starting the process of going public. So that, that really sets us into gear as reporters covering all the steps toward becoming a public company. And, that, and, and one of the biggest days for a company in the lead up to an IPO is the day when that 
filing with the SEC becomes public. We've been expecting this, but it's the big day. It's the big day. It's finally coming out there. I would urge This is called the S-1. So the document is called the S-1. The day that it becomes public is sometimes called the S-1 flip. Um, I got up really <laughs> early for it. And, and yeah, as soon as the document is out there, people are immediately combing through it, looking for all sorts of information. And this is like hundreds of pages long. The S-1 showed that Revenues were growing, but that losses grow basically as quickly as that. And in the year of 2018, the company had a, close to $2 billion in revenue, but also close to $2 billion in losses, um, which means that they're losing a lot um, compared to the amount of money they're bringing in. Beast That's a lot of money, right? That's a lot even, of money. Even for... Silicon Valley startups. Yeah, I think even even by Silicon Valley standards, that's a very high rate of growth and a very high rate of losses. And there was a pretty stunning disclosure in the S-1 documents, too. Yeah, the related party transaction section is where they discuss potential conflicts of interest. And there was a lot of stuff in there, including this one detail that a few people noticed about how Adam Newman had owned the trademark rights to the word we and had sold them to WeWork, which had recently rebranded as the We Company uh, and had accepted $6 million in exchange. Um, and that was pretty shocking to a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, I was shocked when I read about it. It feels really improper. Yeah, you know, it's a small amount of money compared to, you know, the billions of dollars that we talked about related to WeWork. But I think the ethos behind it just didn't sit right with people when they read about it. And there were a few other disclosures, too, in the prospectus. Yeah, certainly some stuff that raised eyebrows. For example, the amount of control that Adam Newman has over the company made it such that even the board couldn't remove him if they wanted. And if he became incapacitated or no longer able to serve as CEO, his wife, who was also a co-founder but who is not part of the board, would play a major role in picking his successor, which is pretty uncommon. Usually that's a, a role for the board of directors. And so there were a lot of stuff that people looked at and just thought, like, this isn't how most public companies are set up to be run or to be governed. Okay, so at this point in late August, investors are starting to have some pretty serious doubts about WeWork, the company, and also some serious doubts about its CEO, Adam Newman. Walk us through the next few weeks. Then we're starting to get closer to the date when it's expected that the company might start the roadshow, which is the process for going around and getting investors to hear a formal pitch about the company and maybe make some commitments to how much they might buy at the IPO. So this is Adam Newman flying around the world talking to some of the world's biggest investors. Yeah. Saying, please, please buy some WeWork stock when we go public. Yeah, this is sort of the like pre-sale pitch. This is when the company and the banks have to start putting out, you know, a general idea of what the valuation of the company might be. And this is where things start to get a little complicated. So the banks that are leading the IPO are J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs. And it starts to become clear that potential investors in WeWork stock are not in agreement that the company is valued or should be valued at $47 billion. In mm -hmm. fact, they think it should be valued a lot less. You know, there were some stories that suggested Goldman Sachs had told WeWork, we think you can be valued at $65 billion. And in these later discussions, it, it turns out that Okay, now maybe we're discussing valuations of $28 billion 
or $15 billion. Um, in the last few days, I've even seen headlines that suggest 10. So all of a sudden, things are in flux. WeWork slash Adam Newman would really like to continue with the IPO. Meanwhile, banks and other involved parties, for complicated reasons, they are like, look, we would rather you not proceed with, with an IPO if, if the valuation is going to be so low. So guys, the longer this drags on, the more difficult it will be for WeWork to actually complete an offering, which could mean... I mean, Ellen, we should note here that this is really not how an IPO is supposed to go. For a company that was valued at $47 billion in the private markets to then try to go public at a valuation that's, you know, one-third, one-fourth of that is crazy. As you're reporting on this, what's going through your head? It's, it's kind of shocking. I think when you cover a private company, you spend a lot of time thinking about it. And then as it gets close to IPO, all of a sudden, all these public market investors, public market machinery starts paying attention to it. And even though... As someone who was pretty familiar with WeWork, I knew that there was a lot of discussion and skepticism about its valuation. It was still really surprising to see just how dramatically it dropped in this month or so of discussing a potential IPO valuation price. Mm-hmm. And so I I was just sort of watching it all unfold and we're trying to stay ahead of the news. And it just seems like it's becoming a more and more stressful situation internally. You have to imagine there's just a lot of tense discussions going on inside between different parties about should we move forward with this? Right. I mean, why is WeWork pushing so hard for the IPO when it's getting so much pushback. It, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal to wait it out if investors have so many concerns. Yeah. So when WeWork talks about the IPO, their plan is to raise around $3 billion in cash um, by selling new shares on the market. That's what an IPO does. But in this case, it's not just the $3 billion at stake, which they do need. It's that they have these agreements with these banks where they're going to get access to $6 billion more of um, debt that they could access to help the business run. But it's contingent on having a successful IPO, raising $3 billion in the IPO, and doing it in 2019. So there's this immense pressure, not just for $3 billion, but for a total of more like nine, which is more on the scale of the amount of money that they need to keep the business going. So with a total of $9 billion at stake, walk us through what WeWork does to save its IPO. Well, it starts by responding to some of the criticisms that have come up since the first public S-1. So, for example, Adam Newman agrees to sort of walk back this uh, $6 million that he received in exchange for the trademark of We. So that's a relatively small concession, but a concession nonetheless. Yeah, and they actually continue to make more changes. They file another amended S-1 a few weeks later, and that one has more changes, this time focused on corporate governance. So some of the changes include changing the super voting shares from 20 votes per share down to a mere 10. So (laughs) still still super voting, but just a little bit less so. And now the succession plan for a CEO following Adam no longer includes his wife, Rebecca Newman. Now it's going to be picked by the board of directors, which is more in line with what you'd expect from a public company. And they've pledged to add more independent directors to the board. So they're trying to balance out his power. 
So this is WeWork really doing everything it can to appease investors. Yeah, it's trying to make changes to see if it can make it work. But ultimately, WeWork has canceled its roadshow this week and is postponing its IPO. Here it's a parent company is delaying the offering until at least October. They come out with a statement saying that the IPO is going to be delayed, although they are committed to doing it in calendar year 2019. Our reporting suggests that that means it's probably going to happen in mid to late October. And that gets us into this past weekend. Yes, a very dramatic weekend. On Sunday, there was news that... There be a board meeting this week where some directors are expected to encourage Newman to step down as CEO and take the position of a non-executive chairman position. Some of the board members and investors in WeWork were starting to have discussions about whether Adam Newman should step down as CEO. So this is a very dramatic change. And what was super interesting about it was our reporting and other people's reporting showed that among those supporting this plan were members of the board from SoftBank and Masayoshi Son, the head of SoftBank. Mm-hmm. His someone, biggest supporter. Yes, someone who has traditionally been a big champion of WeWork and of Adam. And then just this morning, West Coast time, Tuesday, September 24th. Reporting that Adam Newman uh, basically is expected to step down as We Company's CEO. However, it comes out that Newman has decided to step down. I know. It was uh, really shocking. I've had a very busy morning. (laughs) And yeah, it seems like uh, there had been a call with the board of directors and the executives this morning. Decision was finalized and the news started to leak out that Adam Newman will no longer be CEO. He's going to become non-executive chairman. The company has picked two new co-CEOs to take over. And our sources say that these are permanent uh, and they're not meant to be interim CEOs. They are Artie Minson, who's the CFO, and Sebastian Gunningham, another executive. Both of them are WeWork senior executives who notably have experience outside of WeWork at companies like Time Warner Cable and Amazon. So They will be leading the company effective immediately. Um, Adam, Adam's voting shares, which were originally 20 to 1 and then were made 10 to 1, are now 3 to 1 votes. Wow. So he no longer has majority voting control of the company. His wife, Rebecca Newman, who was a co-founder and the CEO of the education arm of WeWork, is leaving the company. She will no longer have those titles. There's a lot that's happening. And there was even a statement from some of the executives. And my favorite line from Adam's statement says, the scrutiny directed toward me has become a significant distraction. And I've decided that it is in the best interest of the company to step down as chief executive. Hmm. So that's that. You know, I was expecting this dramatic showdown where he would still try to cling on to power. But it sounds like ultimately he decided to not fight the investors. I mean, we don't know how dramatic the discussions were behind closed doors, but it did happen very quickly. Uh, Insiders that I have been chatting with this morning, trying to get a sense of what their thoughts were, have told me, yeah, they're not surprised that this happened, but they are surprised at how quickly it happened because there was clearly pressure to make a big change. It just usually these things are very complicated. So there may be more bumps along the way. There may end up being a search for a different CEO We'll just have to keep watching. So what does this mean for the IPO? I think it's going to affect how quickly they can do it because it's just such a major upheaval. The company has said that they will continue evaluating the optimal time for an IPO, Hmm. which I think if you read between the lines means they want to keep doing it. They just don't want to commit yet to when it's going to happen. Um, 
there's still a need for money. The company still has to get cash to keep growing. There were there was also language in some of the press releases, and there's been some reporting that suggests that in the coming weeks and months, there may be some major changes at the company in order to cut costs. So you can imagine there's an opportunity for layoffs or changes in some of their side businesses. You know, apart from WeWork, which rents out office space and that's their main business. They run a, an elementary school. They have a residential business. They own a they own meetup.com. They have a coding school. There's a lot of stuff that is pretty ancillary to WeWork's business that has been part of their acquisition strategy. Those avenues seem like they might be more vulnerable now to changes. This debacle over the last few weeks from the plunging valuations to the corporate governance issue to the CEO drama, I'm sure you're exhausted now. (laughs) I'm a little tired, yeah. (laughs) What do you think will be the lesson that the rest of the industry takes from this? I think they're going to reevaluate a few things because this whole WeWork saga has been emblematic of a few trends that we've been watching in Silicon Valley for the last year or two. First is whether this brash, visionary, take no prisoners. Um, the Travis Kalanick Yeah, type. whether that style of CEO has a long lifetime, is able to go from the scrappy young startup to the public company. I think people are questioning whether that's the right and prized attitude to have in a founder. And then I think we're also seeing this big gap between private market valuations and public market valuations. And you're seeing how a few investors and a CEO gets to set a private valuation um, that, that everyone is, else disagrees with. Yeah, that, that actually maybe doesn't hold water um, in a big way, right? Sometimes I think everyone understood there was maybe going to be a little bit of difference, but with WeWork, we're talking about a major difference, and, and that has had big effects for the company. And then last, I think we're going to examine the role of SoftBank. SoftBank has sort of barged in and become this huge, influential, controversial investor in Silicon Valley. And they've come in with this particular investing vision, which is to you know, invest a ton of money, try to make one of the companies in a particular sector be the richest and therefore the most successful one. And we're starting to see that maybe that is not the best strategy for venture investing. And when we look back at this time in history, I think SoftBank is going to be a major part of it. We're going to be examining whether their approach is a good idea. Ellen Hewitt, we will continue posting your stories on Bloomberg.com slash technology. Where else can our listeners follow your reporting? You can find me on Twitter at Ellen Hewitt. That's H-U-E-T. Um, and you will occasionally see me on Bloomberg TV or on Bloomberg podcasts, such as this one. Thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Decrypted is produced by me, Aki Ito, and Ethan Brooks. Emily Busso and Ann Vandermeer are our story editors. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcasts. We'll see you next week. Thank you.